Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast. The podcast where we do things brilliantly. What are we up to today? Chapter 12, Book 14. You know it's cool that in the last couple of days it's just been this resurgence of comment makers. Today's chapter has 12 comments. Yesterday had 14 comments. If I look at the previous month's worth, you know, they've got four comments, five comments, six comments, three comments, four comments. It's usually, you know, up to ten sometimes. But to have two days in a row with more than ten comments, I'm impressed. Well done, guys. During the journey to Andre, Maya's servants are astonished by her firmness of spirit and energy. Did this surprise you too? Or And if not, how can it be that the servants are surprised by it? After arriving at the house, Sonia welcomes them, and to Maya it seems that she smiles unpleasantly and falsely. Could this be true? Uh, But if not, why would it seem unpleasant and false to Maya? Ending with such a cliffhanger, without spoiling it, who couldn't wait a day and already read the next chapter? No spoilers. No spoilers, please. Acoustic Girl says, I love how Maya and Natasha can communicate with a glance. And I'm glad that Maya got over whatever antipathy she felt towards Natasha the first time they met. I think a dying loved one can open deep reserves of strength in a person and change many things about them. And that's what happened with Maya. Kara Kikar says, I haven't read ahead, but I desperately want to. I like that Maya and Natasha can be united by this grief. If Maya is to become part of the family, it will be good for her to have good feelings towards her sister-in-law. I'm gutted that Andre is going through so much suffering, but I think that is realistic. Excuse me. FDLP1 says, My book club abandoned 2021 War and Peace project, but the timing worked out well with this cycle of Hemingway List and I was able to sync up with the current reading this week. Awesome. Another new person jumping in to the daily reads. How good's that? Um, thank you for sharing your diverse points of view. I think that Maya's observation is most likely true. Sonia is aware and that the Countess wants Nikolai to marry Maya or another wealthy woman. And Maya may be feeling that implicit tension from Sonia. More physical descriptions in this one. The princess found herself in the hall looking at an elderly woman with oriental features, distorted with anguish, who was advancing rapidly to meet her. It was the countess. Yeah, it was cool to get that description of the countess after all this time. You know, not really sure if we've had a physical description of her. If we have, I've forgotten all about it. Um, awesome. Alright. It is time to read the next chapter although I don't have the chapter open so what are we looking for chapter 15 book 12 XV all right here we go wait not yet we don't go yet we nearly go do we go sorry about this Bad podcasting. Okay, now we go. Now we go. Chapter 15. Um, 
When Natasha opened Prince Andre's door with a familiar movement and let Princess Mary pass into the room before her, the princess felt the sobs in her throat. Hard as she had tried to prepare herself and now tried to remain tranquil, she knew that she would be unable to look at him without tears. Uh, The princess understood what Natasha had meant by the words two days ago. This suddenly happened. She understood those words to mean that he had suddenly softened and that this softening and gentleness were signs of approaching death. As she stepped to the door, she already saw in imagination Andre's face, as she remembered it in childhood, a gentle, mild, sympathetic face which he had rarely shown and which therefore affected her very strongly. She was sure he would speak soft, tender words to her such as her father had uttered before his death and that she would not be able to bear it and would burst into sobs in his presence. Yet sooner or later it had to be and she went in. The sobs rose higher and higher in her throat and she more and more clearly distinguished his former and her short-sighted eyes tried to make oh, his form, and her shite. Oh, let me try again. Did I say shite? Um, the sobs rose higher and higher in her throat, and she more and more clearly distinguished his form, and her short-sighted eyes tried to make out his features, and then she saw his face and met his gaze. He was lying in a squirrel fur dressing gown on a divan, dr- surrounded by pillows. He was thin and pale. In one thin, translucently white hand, he held a handkerchief, while with the other he stroked the delicate moustache he had grown, moving his fingers slowly. His eyes gazed at them as they entered. On seeing his face and meeting his eyes, Princess Mary's pace suddenly slackened, and she felt her tears dry up and her sobs ceased. She suddenly felt guilty and grew timid on catching the expression of his face and eyes. But in what am I to blame, she asked herself, and his cold, stern look replied, because you are alive and thinking of living, while I, in the deep gaze that seemed to look not outwards but inwards, there was an almost hostile expression, as he slowly regarded his sister and Natasha. He kissed his sister, holding her hand in his, as was their wont. How are you, Mary? How did you manage to get here? said he in a voice as calm and aloof as his look. Had he screamed in agony, that scream would have not struck such horror into Princess Mary's heart as the tone of his voice. And have you brought little Nicholas? he asked in the same slow, quiet manner and with an obvious effort to remember. How are you now? said Princess Mary, herself surprised at what she was saying. That, my dear, you must ask the doctor, he replied, and again making an evident effort to be affectionate, he said with his lips only, his words clearly did not correspond to his thoughts, Merci, cher ami d'être venu. Thank you for coming, my dear. Princess Mary pressed his hand. The pressure made him wince just perceptibly. He was silent, and she did not know what to say. She now understood what had happened to him two days before, In his words, his tone, and especially in that calm, almost antagonistic look, could be felt an estrangement from everything belonging to this world, terrible in one who is alive. Evidently, only with an effort did he understand anything living, 
but it was obvious that he failed to understand, not because he lacked the power to do so, but because he understood something else, something living did not and could not understand, and which wholly occupied his mind. There, you see, how strangely fate has brought us together, said he, breaking the silence and pointing to Natasha, she looks after me all the time. Princess Mary heard him and did not understand how he could say such a thing. He, the sensitive, tender Prince Andre, how could he say that before her whom he loved and who loved him? Had he expected to live, he could not have said those words in that offensively cold tone. If he had not known that he was dying, how could he have failed to pity her and how could he speak like that in her presence? The only explanation was that he was indifferent because something else, much more important, had been revealed to him. The conversation was cold and disconnected and continually broke off. Mary came by of the Ryzen, said Natasha. Oh, sorry. Mary came by way of the Ryzen, said Natasha. Prince Andre did not notice that she called his, his sister Mary. And only after calling her so in his presence did Natasha notice it herself. Really? he asked. They told her that all Moscow has been burned down and that Natasha stopped. It was impossible to talk. It was plain that he was making an effort to listen but could not do so. Yes, they say it burned, he said. It's a great pity. And he gazed straight before him, absently stroking his moustache with his fingers. And so you have met Count Nicholas, Mary, Prince Andre suddenly said, evidently wishing to speak pleasantly to them. He wrote here that he took a great liking to you. He went on simply and calmly, evidently unable to understand all the complex significance his words had for living people. If you liked him too, it would be a good thing for you to get married, he added rather more quickly, as if pleased at having found words he had long been seeking. Princess Mary heard his words, but they had no meaning for her except as proof of how far away he now was from everything living. Why talk of me, she said quietly and glanced at Natasha. Natasha, who felt her glance, did not look at her. All three were silent again. Andre, would you like, Princess Mary suddenly said in a trembling voice, would you like to see little Nicholas? He's always talking about you. Prince Andre smiled just perceptibly and for the first time, but Princess Mary, who knew his face so well, saw with horror that he did not smile with pleasure or affection for his son, but with quiet, gentle irony because he thought she was trying what she believed to be the last means of arousing him. Yes, I shall be very glad to see him. Is he quite well? When little Nicholas was brought into Prince Andre's room, he looked at his father with frightened eyes, but did not cry because no one else was crying. Prince Andre kissed him and evidently did not know what to say to him. When Nicholas had been led away, Princess Mary again went up to her brother, kissed him and, unable to restrain her tears any longer, began to cry. He looked at her attentively. Is it about Nicholas? he asked. Princess Mary nodded her head, weeping. Mary, you know the gospel. But he broke off. What did you say? Nothing. You mustn't cry here, he said, looking at her with the same cold expression. When Princess Mary began to cry, he understood that she was crying at the thought that little Nicholas would be left without a father. With a great effort, he tried to return to life and to see things from their point of view. Yes, to them it must seem sad, he thought but how simple it is. 
The fowls of the air sow not, neither do they reap, yet your father feedeth them, he said to himself, and wished to say to Princess Mary, but no, they will take in their own way, they won't understand. They can't understand that all those feelings they prize are so, all our feelings, all those ideas that seem so important to us, are unnecessary. We cannot understand one another. And he remained silent. Prince Andre's little son was seven. He could scarcely read. He knew nothing. After that day, he lived through many things, gaining knowledge, observation, and experience, but had he possessed all the faculties he afterwards acquired, he could not have had a better or more profound understanding of the meaning of the scene he had witnessed between his father, Mary, and Natasha than he had then. He understood it completely, and leaving the room without crying, went silently up to Natasha, who had come out with him and looked shyly at her with his beautiful, thoughtful eyes. Then his uplifted, rosy upper lip trembled, and leaning his head against her, he began to cry. After that, he avoided de Salas and the countess who caressed him, and either sat alone or came timidly to Princess Mary, or to Natasha, of whom he seemed even fonder than of his aunt and clung to them quietly and shyly. When Princess Mary had left Prince Andre, she fully understood what Natasha's face had told her. She did not speak any more to Natasha of hopes or of saving his life. She took turns with her bedside, sorry, she took turns with her beside his sofa and did not cry any more, but prayed continually, turning in soul to that eternal and unfathomable, whose presence above the dying man was now so evident. Alright, there we go, that's that chapter. The next chapter, uh, 16, is the last one in chapter, in uh, book 12. So, it's exciting to see what's going to happen there. Alright, thanks for listening guys, I'll see you tomorrow.